0: So, Halloween time, uh, everybody likes to be scared. Not everybody likes to be scared. A lot of people don't like to be scared. I found that out about our 20-somethings. <laughs> None of them like to be scared, apparently. Um, it's hard to get them to go to a haunted house. It's hard to get them to do anything remotely scary. Um, but uh, <laughs> they have nightmares just because all of them have to be in bed by 745. So they, uh, they struggle with, um, with doing anything remotely scary. Uh, But anyway, um, I, however, haunted houses don't really scare me that much. I kind of enjoy them, strangely enough. I know that's kind of probably bad for your pastor to say that, but I do. Um, I I went to my first haunted house probably when I was in, uh, I think I was, well, let's see, I was in the third or fourth grade, I think, and it was my first legitimate haunted house that I went to. It was in Gadsden, in Rainbow City, technically, Um, and I can remember distinctly, um, there were like seven different rooms that you went in. I went in with my sister, who thought, and I, I've told this story before, but I think it's hilarious um, because if you know my sister, you'll think this is hilarious too. But um, I was in third grade, so you know you're pretty young, and and I was really intimidated. I said, I don't know if I should go in a haunted house. You know, I only come up to everybody's waist. You know, I'm kind of young. It's kind of kind of difficult for me, being in third grade, to go into a full-fledged haunted house, and she's like, no, nah, you'll be fine. It'll be cool. See, what I do, this is what she told me. She tried to give me advice. Uh, older siblings try to give you advice to try to help you through life, right? So uh, I figured out later on in life that they don't know what the heck they're talking about, so don't listen to your older siblings. But what I figured out, I figured that out this night because she said, just laugh at them. If you laugh, then it makes it funny, and then it's not scary. I figured out that night that that is not true, because we went into the very first room and we're lined up against a cinder block wall and she begins to laugh. And I'm like, I'm scared out of my shoes, right? Like, I'm just like, like this, I'm shaking, you know, and I'm up, I'm up again, because they're like giving us all the rules, don't touch anybody, and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. So she starts laughing because this skeleton dude who looks really scary gets up in her face. So she starts laughing at him. I was like, okay, we're going to see how this goes because she gave me this advice, just laugh at him. Well, he takes a full-fledged real metal hatchet and slams it against the cinder block wall about a foot above her head and knocks a chunk out of the wall. And I said, this is why I don't laugh right there. This is not, this laughing idea is not a good idea. See, I know because I'm just going to stay here and look scared and they won't mess with me. But you, however, dummy, you laughing and they're going to do whatever they can to try to scare you. Let me tell you this. Immediately after that, she never let out a giggle. It was funny how, how that changed her whole demeanor, that she, know, she never chuckled after that. It was like all of a sudden it got real serious. Um, but that was that was the very first five minutes I've ever experienced in a haunted house. That was my experience. Um, I, I Nowadays, I, you know, haunted houses and stuff like that don't really scare me that much. I mean, I'm sure there are things that probably would make me jump if they popped out at me and that sort of thing, but I... I I enjoy haunted houses, but they don't really scare me that much. Um, But what does scare me, honestly, is uh, some things that I read in this book, and it scares me way worse than any haunted house that I have ever been in. Um, I don't know if you've ever read read this book, but there are some things, especially that Jesus says, that terrify me. I mean, they really scare me to death. Um, In particular when Jesus is talking about the reality of the fact that there are two types of people, that there are people who are really in the kingdom and people who think that they're in the kingdom and really aren't. And Jesus talks way more about hell than he does about heaven in his ministry on earth. You know that, right? Um, It's a terrifying thing when you take a, a look at what Jesus says in here, and you start to evaluate yourself and look at yourself and try to ask yourself, where am I? In these two groups of people, where am I? Um, People don't really like to do that. They don't really like to examine themselves. You know why? Because they get scared. When you start to really take an inventory of yourself and find out where you stand in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and what are you basing your faith in Jesus Christ, what are you basing your eternity on, and you find out that it's on shaky ground and it's not on what it needs to be based on, it terrifies you. It terrifies you. And even if you are a a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, when you read some of these things that, that Jesus has said, it still makes you go, man... I need to check myself, and I need to constantly evaluate myself and see where I am in my relationship with Jesus Christ because what he says is, is desperately important that I understand. And he is constantly, in his ministry here on earth, Jesus is constantly trying to show people that there is a difference between people who are really in the kingdom and people who think that they're in the kingdom but they really are not. That If you were to try to sum up Jesus' ministry, that is the main thing that he was trying to show the whole world. He was trying to show the whole world the difference between religiosity and pretending to be a, a, a person of God and what is really going on in your heart, that there is a tremendous difference between the two. And Jesus spends his whole ministry talking about it. Everybody knows about the Sermon on the Mount, Right? Everybody knows that this is Jesus' famous sermon where he's standing up there espousing all of this information that people need to know um, uh, about why he is here. And and he starts out this way in the Sermon on on the Mount. Um, He says, Blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for him. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Blessed. Are those who hunger and thirst for, for justice, they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who work for peace, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of God is theirs. And that's the way he starts off the Sermon on the Mount. Well, let me tell you something. He is saying all of these things about the kingdom of God, all of these things about... Um, the, the, the real, genuine relationship with God that you're supposed to have. He is saying all of those things to bring it down to one point where he is driving home this one decision that he is trying to get to. You, you've got to understand that the Sermon on the Mount, he is trying to get people to make a decision about where they really are. He's trying to get them to understand and say, okay, I am either here or I am there. And it boils down to really... Just this one couple of sentences that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and it says this. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, you can only enter God's kingdom. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. And Jesus is trying to drive home that, man, and the the verses after this, they basically point back to this particular theme, this particular idea. It talks about a good tree, a bad tree. It it talks about true disciples, those that aren't true disciples. It talks about a solid foundation. It talks about a, a shaky foundation. Jesus is pointing all these things back to this idea of a broad way, a narrow way, a broad gate, and a narrow gate. And he's trying to show that there's a difference. Now, what I don't want you to think is this. I don't want you to think that that Jesus is trying to say that it's Christianity versus paganism. It's Christianity, people that say, man, I love Jesus, I'm a Christ follower, versus people that say, I don't care anything about Jesus, I'm going to live my own way, I'm going to do my own thing. That's not what it is. It's two ways, both of them, both of them point seemingly toward the same destination. They, they, they seem like they're going the same direction. They both seem like they're leading to heaven. Proverbs says that there's a a way that seems right to man. But in reality, it leads to destruction. It leads to hell. See, what I want you to understand is this is not just people doing their own thing and living their own way and and doing whatever they want to, and and they recognize that, and they say, I don't really care. Yeah, I'll probably get to heaven because I'm a good person, blah, blah, blah. No, this this is two roads that seemingly go the same direction, but the end result is not the same. I just want to point out a couple of things to you tonight. This this is not a long message. It doesn't need to be. It's two verses, and, and they speak for themselves. It says, you can only enter God's kingdom through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. Its gate is wide, for many choose that way. I want you to think about Your relationship with Christ. I want you to think about the way that you came into the kingdom of God. You see, if you look on to what it says here, it says, The way to life is narrow. And really, what this means is, if you imagine, many of y'all have been through uh, some rocks or something, they're kind of, it's a squeeze, and you got to kind of turn sideways to get through there. You know, you got to be paying attention. It's narrow. You can't just flippantly just go through there and you just wander and you just happen to hit it. No, you've got to be paying attention if you're going to be hitting the narrow way. You're not just going to happen upon it. I want you to understand that that, that there's a lot of people in this world that think that, man, I just go to church and and I'm around a lot of people who are Christians and and I listen to messages and, and all this kind of stuff. And if I'm just around that group, then I'll just happen upon the way, the narrow way. I'll just happen through the narrow gate. And that's not true. That's not true. You've got to be intentional about where you're headed. You've got to be on point. You've got to be looking at this target and you've got to be focused on it in such a way that if you need to turn to get through, then you have to turn. If you have to shed whatever baggage that you're carrying in order to be able to fit through there, then that's what you're willing to do. See, people want to just take whatever they've got and just wander through there. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God expects you to to say, you know what? No matter what it takes to go through that narrow way, I'm going to go that way. See, we make it too easy. We make it too easy. I I think that the the Christianity that we we have here in America is just like, you know what? Just walk an aisle, pray a prayer, sign a card. You're a Christian. What does it say right here? Because that doesn't sound like what it says here. This is what Jesus says. He says, He says, But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will find it. A few will find it. We have this idea here in the Bible Belt in the South that everybody's going to heaven, right? And Jesus says, a few will find it, and it's difficult, we think that it's difficult to get up and come to, to church on Sunday morning when it starts at 10 o'clock, and that's our definition of difficult. We think that it's difficult to squeeze Jesus in on a Wednesday night. We define that as difficult. Man, I am walking that narrow path because I am here on Sundays and Wednesdays most of the time. My walk with Christ is, is tough, man. You don't understand what a burden it is to be here twice a week we are here for like an hour and a half both times. You don't understand what it's like to give Jesus three hours a week. This narrow way, it is tough. Three hours a week giving that to Jesus Christ. And, and on occasion, by the way, every, every once in a while, i give him about 10 minutes in the morning to actually pray and or read my Bible, never both at the same time. So all total, maybe three hours, 15 minutes, three hours and a half during the week, On a good week, some weeks he doesn't get anything. Some weeks he gets zero. But on a good week, he gets 315, three and a half hours. That's my difficult way. And you know that there are missionaries. There are missionaries out there that are skinned alive for their faith. And we go, I'm going to the same place they're going. I'm on the same road they're on. Really? Really? Does your your walk look like that? Is your walk difficult? Is your struggle in your daily life? Because Jesus says that that your your life is going to be difficult. If you're a Christian, it's going to be difficult. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I think... I think we may be teaching something that's just a little too easy, will not you? I, I think that in an effort to try to get people into church, we'll say some stuff and we'll try to appease people and we'll try to make it easy so that they'll want to come back next Sunday. The reality is that we should say some stuff to try to run people out of the church and the ones that come back to church are the ones on the narrow way. They're the ones going through the narrow gate. At least that way we aren't deceiving people. At least that way we aren't tricking them into believing that they really are Christ followers when they're not. I fall into this trap. You know, as we're we're teaching the whole counsel of God, you know, obviously I'm going to say some things that are encouraging as I should because, you know, God's word is encouraging sometimes. But sometimes I fall into this trap where I tell some things that are more encouraging than I do focus on things that are true and hard because I want more people to come in here thinking, well, I'll bring more people to Jesus. The reality is, the reality is, is that, you know what? We should be pushing people away. We should be pushing people away and saying, you know what? This is a truth. This is a truth. You don't really want the truth. You don't really want the truth. It's not something that you really want. And, and, and when they come back and say, I've got to have it because I've got to have this Jesus This truth that you've been telling me, this truth that I see in your life, this testimony of your life, I've got to have that. This word that Jesus teaches is something that I cannot resist. It's something that I desperately need in my life because I want change in my life. Jesus is wrecking my life and turning me upside down. And I I have to respond to it. I can't do anything but say yes to what Jesus is calling, calling me to. Even if it means that I die for it, I want it. We say, just come down here and pray. It's going to be okay. That's that's not real Christianity. See, there's there's two ways that look like they're going the same destination, but they're not. One of the ways that you can know that you can know about. which path that you're on. As you kind of go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. See, there's, there's two different religions. One that says that I can be good enough. And one that says I'll never be good enough. It's not anything about what I've done. It's all about what Jesus Christ has done. It's all about what God has done. And when you look at your sin... When you look at the sin in your life, do you look at it this way? Are you poor? Do you mourn? Are you humble? Do you hunger and thirst? Are you merciful? Are you pure in heart? Do you work for peace? Are you persecuted for doing what is right? That's kind of the test, right? You see, these two verses are pointing right back to the beginning. This whole passage, this whole Sermon on the Mount, is trying to show people the difference between being in the kingdom and not being in the kingdom. Do you weep and mourn of your sin? Does it bother you? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you want what God has to offer you? Are you complacent with where you are? Does your sin bother you at all? Do you care? Do you want to work for peace? Or are you complacent with the bitterness that's in your heart? Do you show mercy like you've been shown mercy? You see, when you genuinely want these things, when you genuinely feel the power of God working on your heart, you'll see persecution in your life. You'll see struggle in your life. You'll see it being difficult. And I'm afraid that that's not what we teach a lot of times. And that's why it scares me. That's why it scares me. So... This is not a feel-good invitation of come down here and pray a prayer and ask Jesus to save you. This is a time for you to respond to Jesus if you really want him. If you don't want him, sit there. Don't do anything. Because it would be a lot better for you to do that and say, I don't want Jesus, than it would be to, to deceive yourself and pretend like you want Jesus when you really don't, to pretend like you want life changed when you really don't, to pretend like you really want your heart wrecked over your sin when you really don't. You've got a choice. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, he really is pushing towards a decision. He really is. For you to make a decision in your heart. For you to make this come to this point of, I've got to have this reckoning with myself. My prayer and my hope is that you will have that reckoning with yourself. It will scare you. It may terrify you. But my hope and my prayer is that it will set you free. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth of this word. God, we do want people to come into your kingdom. God, but you tell us that it comes. God, you tell us in your word that it comes with violence. You tell you tell us that it comes with a pressing into the kingdom of God. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that we, as people of God, would not—God, we would not just become complacent. Complacency is the opposite of the gospel. Lord Jesus, I believe that there are probably people in here; they believe themselves to be in the kingdom of God, and the reality is that they're on the broad road, just like many other people. They've not been intentional about their walk. They've not been intentional about finding the narrow gate. They're not intentional about the narrow path. They've just been wandering along, following everybody else in the crowd, expecting to find the kingdom of God, just to happen upon it. The reality is, God, that you never happen upon the kingdom of God. We know that. It requires us to be intentional. It requires us to seek you and to seek you alone, to seek the kingdom of God first. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you have spoken tonight. I pray that people might respond to you. God, but not respond to you with emotion or half-heartedness. God, respond to you. I pray that they would respond to you wholeheartedly with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that you would be glorified. God, I pray, God, for the heart of people, that they might see the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.